0: Back when David was king and and his son Solomon was king, things were, were going really well throughout the land. And there was great splendor and the temple was built. And everyone looked to Jerusalem for leadership in the whole Mideast area. But things weren't going that well nowadays. You see, David and Solomon's reign had long been passed. And now there were new kings on the throne. In fact, there had been not only even new kings, but there were new kingdoms. For soon after Solomon was king, The kingdom split in two, and now there were two kingdoms. Solomon's son Rehoboam was king at Jerusalem in the south in the land of Judea. But in the north there was a a new person on the throne, not a Davidic king at all, but a man by the name of Jeroboam. And he was not particularly a good king. Jeroboam served. He decided that we can't have our people in the north go to the south and worship in the temple, so he built a new temple. And there was a new temple built in the land of Samaria. And there the people worshipped God, but in a, not in a true sense, in a stilted, in a perverted sense of the way. And slowly one king after another came on the throne in the northern kingdom, in the land of Israel. And so after Jeroboam there was his son, and his son was named Hadab. And Hadad did not serve long, for soon, only two years later, a man came in and killed him. And a new king was on the throne, and so we have a whole new reign. This man's name was Basha, and Basha served many years, but in all those years he spent most of his time fighting the kings in the south, trying to reunite the kingdom so that he would be king over all of Israel. Now Basha served for 24 years, and then came his son, and his son's name was Elah. And Elah was not too strong of a person. In fact, he liked to drink quite well, and Just a few years, maybe two years after he was on the throne, he he drank too much one night, got quite drunk, and a a soldier slipped in and stabbed him. Now this soldier's name was Zimri. And Zimri said, look, I'm going to take care of things where nobody uh, sneaks up on me. And so he went to the whole family of Elah and Bashar, and he killed everybody in the family. Now this was sort of bloodthirsty, even in that time in those days. And only seven days later, another man comes takes over the throne, slays Zimri, and a whole new reign begins. This man's name is Omri. And Omri has a son of whom you all know. For Omri's son was named Ahab. And that's really where we're getting this morning. Now, why did I go through all these genealogies? Because the Bible says that Ahab was worse than all the other kings Israel had. Ahab did more things to displease God than all the rest. Now, that wasn't a good a good bunch of guys that he was following. But yet Ahab was the most evil. Now Ahab did something really, really bad. He got married. Now that wasn't what he did wrong, but it was who he married. You know, Ahab married the original Jezebel. And every uh, adjective that was ever stacked up to talk about a Jezebel probably could have been used on the Jezebel the wife of Ahab. For she came down as a princess of a foreign country and brought in pagan idol worship into the land of Israel. It was not only idol worship, but it was an immoral kind of idol worship. And so the worship of true God got more and more perverted with this immoral religion from the north. And so it was the land got so bad that God sent a drought upon the land of Israel. There was no rain falling, no crops to come up. Became quite severe. And during this drought, he told Elijah, his prophet, to go over east of the Jordan River. And there, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. If you go over east of the Jordan River, there's a nice little brook. A brook by the name of Cherith. And if you stay by that brook, you'll have plenty of water. And the ravens will feed you. They'll bring you bread in the morning and bread at the evening. And so Elijah went. And I imagine that Elijah really liked it there. That was a nice place to be. There was plenty of water. It was quiet. It was perhaps beautiful in a rustic sense there in the wilderness. He did have food provided for him. He had had the brook there. It was a nice place to be. But then the Bible says that the brook eventually dried up. Now that must have been a great shock to Elijah. The brook dried up. Here I am, Lord. I'm all set for the duration, all set for the duration of this drought. I've got my food, my water I like it here. And day after day, I imagine Elijah looking at that brook, and it gets smaller and smaller down to trickle and saying, wow, what's happening? And it all disappears. And then the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go some other place. I'm going to take care of you some other place. Now, you have to leave. In fact, Elijah, I want you to go to a foreign land, not to your own people in Israel, but to a foreign land, and a widow will take care of you. Now, I'm sure Elijah, when he thought about that, thought, Lord, look, if you're going to do something fancy over there, if you're going to do some sort of miracle, how about doing it right here? Just a little spring that bubbles up. You know, a couple of gallons a day, that's all I need. I like it here. It is a nice place to be, and besides, I don't have to get around all those immoral people, all those idol worshipers. Yet the Lord said, no, Elijah, I want you to go, and so Elijah went. Elijah answered God and went, I imagine he had to walk from the Jordan, he had to walk clear through the land of Israel, his own home. He had to go by village after village and keep thinking to himself, Lord, why didn't you, why didn't you use a Israeli widow? Why do I have to go up there to the north, to the foreign land, to a place that's even more pagan than we are? And yet Elijah went. And so he went through the land of Israel, he went up into uh, the land of Sidon, And he went to a town that's called Zarephath. And there at Zarephath, he was to meet a widow. And so as he walked up to the gates of the city, for all the cities had great tall walls around them, and he walked up to one of the gates, he saw a widow who was outside the gate. She was gathering up sticks. She probably, undoubtedly, had a vessel, had a jar, a vase of some sort to gather or to collect water in. Now even in a drought, not all the wells would have dried up. And so there was water there at that city of some sort. And she had her vase, her jar, her vessel. And she was gathering up some sticks. And I know Elijah must have looked at her and thought, Wow, she certainly doesn't look like the kind of lady that has a lot of extra stuff, you know, Lord, uh, to provide for me. But you, you told me that I should ask her. And so he called to the lady, Listen, would you get me a little water? I'm thirsty. It's been a long journey. And so the lady goes her way to the well, and as she goes, Elijah says, oh, by the way, could I have a little, a little bread, a little cake, a little biscuit? You have something to eat, too. And I imagine that widow looking up at him with almost bewilderment, as if you don't have any idea what you're asking. For you see, the, the woman, the widow, had a story, too. Times have been bad, even in the land of Sidon, not just in Israel. There had been a severe drought. And whether she lost her husband because of the drought or not, we don't know. But she was without husband. She was without anybody to support her. She was without any sort of government agency that would take her in. She suddenly became sole support for her family. And she had no income. So what did they do? They started to use up the supplies that they had. And I imagine day after day she would look and the supplies were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And she hated to think about it, but she knew that one day there wouldn't be any more one day she would have to look at her little son who looked through hungry eyes and say, there just isn't anything else. I'm sure she must have dreaded that time. She must have tried to put it off, and yet here it came. This was the day. This was the day she got up in the morning and said, there's no way I can divide that little bit of meal in half again. I've divided it in half time and time and time again, and it's so small now, it can't be divided. I've got to cook one small little biscuit We'll pretend like it's a great feast, and that will be our last. must have been a sad thing to think, not only her own life, but the life of her young son, the joy of her life, the one connecting her with, her with her husband, the one connecting the whole family with the past generation, suddenly to be no more. And so she goes outside the city. She takes her vessel for water, and she's collecting some sticks along the way, something to build a small fire for that one little biscuit. And as she's doing this, perhaps reaching down to pick up the sticks, she notices a stranger walks up to her. And this stranger, a man from another country, a Jew, comes up and says, Lady, I'd like a drink of water. And she almost acts mechanically. She starts to head for the well. She has the vessel. She knows how to get the water out of the well. She heads to give this man a drink. Probably thinking to herself, My, that's an imposition on me. I... I'd rather not be bothered. I have so many things to think about, but I'll get him the water. And as she goes towards the well, he has the nerve to ask her, and I'd like something to eat too. He would like something to eat. She must look at him with that look in her eye, I would like something to eat. And you ask it of me. She tells him, listen, there's no way in the world I can give you anything to eat. We barely have just a bite each, just a token of a meal for myself and my son, and then we're going to die. And you come and demand that of us. But Elijah has some words from the Lord for this lady, for this widow at Zarephath. And he says, first of all, fear not. He says, fear not. Fear not death. Fear not what's going to happen to your son. Be at peace about what I say. For you fix me a small cake, and then you can fix whatever you need for yourself. For the Lord has told me that you are not going to run out of meal, that that jar of oil will not be empty until this drought is through. Now that's sort of a hard principle to learn. It's a hard thing to sink in. Look, he wants me to give him everything here, and suddenly I'm going to get something back. Now there could be, he could be traveling throughout the land. I mean, this is kind of a gimmick, you know. A guy traveling out the land telling widows, look, you just give me what you have there and it'll be back. Sure. How am I supposed to know that I'll really get anything back? And yet she knew perhaps that he was a prophet, for perhaps he wore the garb of a prophet, the clothing of a prophet. Perhaps she could tell that he was a man of God. There was something about his authority, his voice, the words that came from God that she decided, I'll chance it. I'll try it out. I'll go ahead and do this. Now, we don't know exactly how this miracle happened, exactly how it was that that jar and that canister kept filling up with meal and oil. But we know that throughout the duration of that drought, not only Elijah, but the widow at Zarephath and her household were taken care of. It's an interesting story. Reminds me of a song not too many years ago. Well, maybe it has been. Uh, Kingston Trio sang a song. They sang a song uh, taking on a true story about what had happened down in the desert back in the in the last century. There was a pump, it seems, an old hand pump down in an oasis in the desert. And a man had come across that hand pump and there scribbled on the pump on a piece of paper or cardboard or wood or something were these words, that is, look underneath the big rock next to the pump. dip down underneath it in the sand, and you'll find a quart of water. And if you take that quart of water and you pour it into the pump, if you wet those leathers inside the pump, you'll prime it, and you'll be able to pump water all you want out. And then leave that jar full, buried for the next person that comes along. And so the person Uh, As the song goes, the person had to make up his mind whether or not, look, there's a quart of water and I'm thirsty. That almost would take care of me. Not quite, but almost. How do I know there's anything down in that well? And yet I'm going to pour it all down in there. And of course, the song goes out and says how he did. The moral of the song, perhaps the moral of this story, both same, had to give it all in order to get. The widow had to give everything, even the most insignificant little drop of meal, in order to get. You know, we're finding out giving foreign aid to countries that sometimes that becomes difficult. For instance, many countries starving today, many countries needing uh, seed, either either wheat or, or rice or whatever the uh, barley, whatever it is, the seed that they need. We send the seed to them and they eat the seed instead of planting it. Uh, It's very hard to get across to people that, no, if you eat the seed, it'll last a month. But if you plant it, it'll last a year. Use it up, and then you'll get something in return. That's a principle, I think, we can learn from this story. Now, how does that fit to us? Well, first of all, I think it fits just in a material way like the widow. That is, we're living in hard times, perhaps. We're living in times of inflation cutting into everybody's budget. We're living in time where food has become very expensive, uh, comparatively speaking, to past years. And suddenly it doesn't seem like we quite have as much. Maybe our hospitality is being slowed down by this. You know, are you the one that's saying, well, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to invite these people over. I'd like to give to this organization or this group, but things are tight. There isn't as much meal left in the jar anymore as there used to be. In fact, it's almost insignificant what's there. And if that is your response, then perhaps you too, like the widow at Zarephath, need to say, I'm going to give all in order to receive. Now we can think of this in more than material ways. You can think in other ways, whether it's with your faith or your patience or whatever it is you're called upon to give. I know many times our patience runs out, either with our children or in our classes we teach or or with our husbands or wives. And we say, I don't think there's another ounce of patience in me. Maybe just a scrap down there, maybe just a little wad of meal in the corner of the jar. But that's what we're called to give out, everything we have. Sometimes this happens too with our love, you know. We, we give our love to others, especially those close around us. And then there are others that we just can't seem to find enough love for. I just don't have time to do loving things for them. After all, I've got to take care of my family first. We say like the widow, look, I don't have time, Elijah, but because I've got this young son that I've got to show this attention to. And perhaps the Lord is saying to you, give it all away, and then you're going to receive. This happens too, perhaps, with our faith. Many times we say... I just don't want to put my faith on the line. I mean, I don't have very much faith, and if this happened, it might destroy it all. I don't want to trust the Lord that He'll answer this problem. I don't want to go to Him and pray for this because He'll destroy what little faith I have. And maybe the Lord's saying to you, dig down in there and get that little tiny mustard seed worth of faith and give it away. Use it. Put it on the line. And it will be given back to you. Perhaps Jesus said it best when He said it in passage from Luke that we read this morning. For he said, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, I do thank you for this lesson in the book of Kings, for the life of Elijah and how he was provided for Lord, may this time, this morning, and this day be one of looking into our lives. May we see what it is we are to give completely, totally to You. May we honor that in Jesus' name. Amen.